Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, November 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2020. I would say safely, Colin, you would know even better than me right now, probably the most jam-packed show that we've had to date this year. I mean, it wasn't a, a weekend where we had multiple top 10 against top 10 matchups, but it was just a loaded weekend and maybe in some cases more loaded than you realize. I'll let you know in just a second, but it's our most loaded show to date. I will say that the number of you that chimed in in my DMs, uh, email inbox last night was off the charts. So if that's any indication, I expect the show to do some pretty good traffic. I've also got some numbers. In fact, I'm going to give them to you in like the next two minutes, even before we dive into our first topic that will just, they blow my mind, maybe they'll blow your mind. JT Daniels, the era has begun emphatically, might I add, in Athens, Georgia. Ohio State survives Indiana. Not necessarily a sentence I envisioned myself saying when we gave out our predictions Tuesday and Thursday of last week. Uh, Penn State is yet to win a game. Also not a sentence maybe that I expected myself saying in August or September. We're going to hit 11 games in some shape, form, or fashion. We're going to hit 11 games on the show tonight. I've got two early best bets. Already gave them out on Twitter. we got some more coming maybe as early as tonight. At the very least, I'm going to have some more for you tomorrow. So follow me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. Full disclosure, when the numbers came out last week and I was juxtaposing them with our, our model's numbers, uh, I didn't see a ton of value. Really tight numbers. We got some value this week, so we're going to hit it. We went 4-3 and three this week, so we're still staying above 500 every week. We're at 58% against the number. I am headed home after the show tonight, so got that long drive ahead of me. But I did want to remind you, Thanksgiving week coming up. I'm extending it again. I got open slots. Any of you out there, I've talked to someone last week that perfectly summed up what I'm trying to do with these one-on-one Zoom sessions. They said, I think I've got the talent. I think I've got the desire. I think I've got good ideas. Like, I think I've got the tools. I just have no clue how to put the game plan together about getting in the sports media industry or starting a YouTube channel. So, uh, Email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com, or hit me up on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. We'll talk about it. So, padlock stats are normally a staple of the Sunday night show. Everyone loves the padlock stat. A lot of you have started sending me your padlock stats. The padlock stat just took a bye week this week. Collectively, the padlock stat said, see you in week 13. Padlock stats, for those unfamiliar, and we got a lot of new viewers to the show and listeners to the show every week, are simply numbers where if I gave them to you on Friday, you would have thought you knew. You would bet a paycheck on how that game was going to turn out. Padlock stats were nowhere to be found this weekend. In fact, listen to this. Indiana, 16 carries, minus one yards, total rushing when you factor in the sack yardage. Ohio State, conversely, 50 runs, 307 total yards, and yet that was a nail-biter at the very end. How about Georgia? 23 carries for eight yards. Not 80, eight yards. The University of Georgia ran. It's not talking about the metric system, guys. This is just normal, everyday rushing numbers. And yet, 
they still found a way to win. Oregon was plus three in the turnover battle against a new quarterback for UCLA last night, and they had to hang on by the skin of their teeth to win at home. Northwestern, 23 rushes, 24 total rushing yards. And not only did they win outright as a touchdown underdog, they won by double digits. I don't, I, I, here's one more for you, just before we dive in. I, got them, I could go all day. I have a page and a half of these. Eric Gray, Tennessee running back. Had a great game that is all for naught last night because they end up losing again inexplicably by double digits. And I'm going to talk about Tennessee before the show's over. Eric Gray, though, his yards per carry, not his yards, his yards per carry total last night was equal to the total amount of Georgia rushing yards. Gray averaged eight yards per carry. Georgia totaled eight yards. That really kind of sums up what week 12 was. Let's dive in and try to make some sense of this, shall we? What a night in Athens. Georgia 31, Mississippi State 24. And I got to, I got to imagine somewhere, I don't know when it was. It wasn't in the press conference. It wasn't immediately afterwards in the locker room. It wasn't when he may have been talking to recruits. But somewhere last night when Kirby Smart got himself alone, maybe it was in the car on the way home, maybe it was brushing his teeth, he stopped, he looked towards the ceiling or the roof or maybe the sky if he was outside, and he just said, thank you, Lord, for JT Daniels. Amen. And if he didn't, then he missed his shot. Because the only thing that worked about Georgia football last night was JT Daniels. You know him as a ground-and-pound running team, non-existent. You know him as a rock-ribbed defensive unit, non-existent last night. Mississippi State's been stoned by multiple teams, just steadily moving the ball up and down the field. I tweeted out a video last night from our Tuesday show when we were predicting this game, and I said, in fact, the quote was, there's a morbid side of me that wants to see JT Daniels go 14 of 17 for 235 yards and three touchdowns in the first half, just to see what it would be like. JT Daniels in the first half was 13 of 17 for 205 yards and two touchdowns. We almost nailed his exact stat line, right down to the number of completions and attempts, which was wild. And so, as I said, I'd love to see it because of what the message boards would look like. Well, I didn't even have to go to the message boards because a lot of Georgia fans were right there in the DMs on Twitter. Didn't need to go look for them. They came and found me. And you know what you wanted. And if you didn't come after me, you could probably imagine what they wanted. The cry for a while has been not necessarily, why isn't this guy playing? But at the very least, he's not playing. Give us a good reason. And it's really kind of been a mystery. And I, I'll give you a little bit more full disclosure. I imagine there's going to be a show at the end of the season. I love to empty the briefcase at the end of the year and everything that I was told in confidence during a season, but then someone says, all right, you can tell them whatever. At the end of the year, I hope to have one of those with Daniels. I hope to have other folks with those kinds of segments on JT Daniels. But you came after me last night, not after me, but you came towards me and you asked, well, what now? Because we heard that either he wasn't mentally ready or he wasn't physically ready. And listen, I didn't necessarily tell you I knew definitively. All I could tell you was what I heard out of that program from people I trust, people who have been money in the past, people who are very close to the Georgia program. My stance on this has just simply been, and will always be for the record, there's a reason why starters are starting. There's a reason why guys who aren't starting aren't starting. I don't have to know them. They don't have to make sense to me. But that's always been my mentality. That was my mentality here. I don't know what the reason was because I saw him take the field last night. I saw him totally bail out and be the reason, primary, secondary, tertiary, the key reasons why Georgia won a football game. And so I'm looking around no different than you during the game and then afterwards. I'm looking to my left, my right, up and down, everywhere in between saying, well, 
I don't even know a reason. I don't even know a good reason. I can't even imagine a good reason why it took this long for that guy to be on the field. Because at that point, I mean, you're kind of, you're just carrying someone's water. Are you not? So there, as far as we know, there's no medical thing that just got cleared last week. There were no disciplinary issues that just got cleared last week. Here was the swerve that got thrown into the mix last night that I don't think anyone could have seen coming. I know I didn't. Kirby Smart knew he was going to start Daniels this week, but he never could have imagined against Mississippi State as nearly a four-touchdown favorite. He never could have imagined he was going to have to lean on a quarterback to win that game. And yet Mississippi State rolls into town. The scholarship situation ended up being even more dire than what I told you it was last week. When I talked to you on Thursday, they had 54 scholarship players available. They rolled in there with 49 That's how many scholarship players they took into an SEC football game, 49. And yet midway through the third quarter, Kirby Smart had to feel completely and totally lost. Everything that is the identity of his program had evaporated. They couldn't run the ball for anything. They were routinely getting stuffed behind the line. Mississippi State had 11 tackles for loss in this game. Do you realize that? 11 tackles for loss against Georgia. All that talent on the offensive line, those guys in the backfield, you know the hallmark of this program. And not only that, you got Mississippi State able to move the ball very effectively. Will Rogers had a phenomenal game at quarterback last night, which I heard Smart say as much after the game. Kind of wonder why it took Mike Leach so long. Very classic move there. I see what you're doing, Kirby. So Kirby Smart had to feel lost, man, because the run game's not there. My defense isn't there. And yet we're winning this game because what? Because a quarterback is slinging it all over the field. I've seen it done against me a time or two. To this point in my tenure at Georgia, I've never had a quarterback do that for me. I've never asked a quarterback to do that for me. And yet, lo and behold, you end up when the dust settles last night with a 31-24 win. There is no prayer they win that game. Let me slow it down again. Because this is a sentence again. Couldn't believe I'd be saying it last week. There is no prayer that Georgia is beating Mississippi State without JT Daniels. He's what worked. He's all that worked. I mean, he's, he's, there, were, there was a money drive, and a lot of you know what I'm talking about if you watch the game. There was a drive in the fourth quarter of this game when they were trying to take the lead where Daniels, I counted him making four throws better on that one drive than I've seen any quarterback make for Georgia all year. In fact, I'll take it a step further. There were four throws on that drive alone he made that no quarterback on their roster is capable of making. So again, I don't know if a light switch turned on and he all of a sudden became capable of that or able to do that this week or last week. I, I'll just I'll stop short of just openly questioning everything, and I'll tell you, I think it's very valid for you to have your doubts about that. I think that's very valid. There was a lot of honesty after this game. I think a lot of you, I saw a lot of you take uh, notice of that in the postgame press availabilities. Kirby Smart, he spoke his mind. It wasn't as if he was about to come out there and say, well, I screwed this one up, didn't I? You didn't get that. You had him give his very blunt, honest reasoning for why, to this point, they've handled the quarterback situation the way they had. And moving forward, obviously, you got your new starter here. But also, JT Daniels, I don't know if you guys, you Georgia fans have heard it. I don't know if a lot of you other uh, folks out there who don't follow this program day in and day out heard it. He was pretty brutally honest, too. And he let him know he handled it in a very classy manner. But you know, it was kind of like watching an NFL postgame, to be honest with you, because those are all full-grown men, and everyone's an adult, and no one's going to get their feelings hurt. Let's just tell it like it is in postgame. And JT Daniels essentially said, week one, I wasn't cleared medically. After that, it was Kirby Smart's decision. He didn't call him Kirby Smart, but he said his coach's decision. 
Uh, he strongly indicated he felt like he's been ready for a while. Now, now the lesser highlighted part, as I saw Jake Rowe tweet out this morning, the lesser highlighted part that should be highlighted every bit as much as everything else that kid said was, it's also true I've been progressing week over week from a health standpoint. So I am today a much better and healthier version of JT Daniels that existed a month ago. And if you go back to listening to Kirby Smart talk, that's exactly what he says. He says he's, he's available now in a way that he wasn't a month or two ago. And so we've played guys who, at the time, we felt gave us the best chance to win. So another thing is we look forward to keep in mind here, again, I cannot repeat this stat enough, Georgia had 23 carries for eight yards. Mind-boggling. I really believed coming into last night, if I took them and I had them play fill-in-the-blank NFL team. They wouldn't beat an NFL team, but I, I would see Georgia getting over eight yards against an NFL team, and they didn't. So maybe I'm wrong about that, but they put up eight yards last night. I don't know what Georgia football is going to be the rest of the year. They'll certainly be favored in every game the rest of the year, but my point is there's a lot of excitement coming out of this, and you should be excited because you have a quarterback who obviously has an infinitely higher ceiling than any that you've had to date under Kirby Smart. What you saw last night, it's not going to be what Georgia football is. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's not going to be that. That dude will just, he'll hang up his whistle and walk out of town before he goes into games where they have uh, no illusions of being able to run the ball and it's kind of hit or miss defensively. That's just not the way he's going to coach. If he is willing to do it, then he's willing to completely turn inside out everything that we know about him. It's been done before. There, there have been no indications that he wanted to do that. Guys, they didn't want to do it last night. Let me be perfectly clear. They had no intention of throwing the ball last night like they did. They did it out of necessity. So now moving forward again, they got some winnable games coming up to finish out the regular season. You'll get to see a lot more of JT Daniels. I'm very interested to see when folks get some film on him and they play him more straight up instead of completely and totally squeezing the line of scrimmage like they did last night to stop the run game and very effectively, might I add, just give it, get it some time, okay? There, you can credit someone without crowning them. So give it some time with Daniels because the league's going to adjust to him and it may not be until next year if, and it's very likely, but there is still an if he hangs around, he is eligible to not hang around, but I think he'll hang around. Uh, let's just watch the league adjust to him is the point. But very good showing last night from both teams. I think Mississippi State, they don't, they're not here for pat on the back. I think they deserve a ton of credit. Because that's a team that could have very easily, and no one would have gotten mad at them, bowed out gracefully from even showing up. And instead, they took a team that they probably could have fit on one charter bus and rolled in there and took a, a perennial playoff contender to the wire. So hats off to both teams. But uh, really looking forward to JT Daniels in the future. Uh, meanwhile, in Columbus, Ohio, Ohio State 42, Indiana 35. Really strange game here. Uh, I, a lot of you watched this. It was a very strange game because I was telling Colin, I was at the gym. I watched the early games at the gym because it has a great TV setup where I work out. And so I got five games on five different TVs, and some would call that distraction. I just call it multitasking. But I really, as crazy as this sounds, I started to doubt our Ohio State minus 20 and a half pick when they went up 35-7. When you lay a big number like that, at least if you're me, I don't like a big early lead. I like a lead that gets stretched as time goes on late in the second half. Ohio State, that's a young team. That's a pretty green team. They're not veteran. 
They don't have a bunch of veterans on that team. Veterans, they understand how to keep their foot on the throat for four quarters. Some young guys, it's it's very it's very spiky. It's it's very you know hit or miss. And so, well, there's a lot of miss in the second half because that Ohio State secondary got humbled by Michael Penix and company. They got outscored 28 to seven over the final 25 minutes of a game in the horseshoe. By the way, um, general feeling going in did not necessarily pan out. We talked a lot about this game. We gave it its own individual breakdown, as you do, top 10 matchups. But you think to yourself, at least I thought to myself, and a lot of you guys I talked to, you kind of agreed with the sentiment, Indiana, you know, if you go in here and, and you can limit Ohio State's run, then you got a chance. If you make Justin Fields have to beat you, uh, he could probably still beat you, but you could have a chance. Well, Ohio State ran all over him. They ran for over 300 yards. Uh, it turns out they had to run because Justin Fields couldn't get the job done. I mean, 18 for 30, two touchdowns, three interceptions is about as bad as you're going to see Justin Fields play in any game, much less a big game. But yet there were the Buckeyes, 50 runs for 307 yards. And the irony is at 6.1 yards per pop, they're not crazy about the run game right now. Now, they got downhill a whole lot quicker with the bigger body type backs that they have as opposed to a J.K. Dobbins, which most people understand they should do, including their coaching staff. But the most lasting image for me from this game was Justin Fields when the clock hit triple zeros in the fourth quarter and they panned to him just shaking his head, just shaking his head, as, I, as was I and as were a lot of you. Uh, but that's... I mean, that's kind, of, that's kind of the collective mentality walking out of there. You understand and you respect the opponent and you really appreciate the win and you shake their hand, but, man, you get to the locker room and immediately, it, can, can we just start breaking it down now? I mean, can we start looking ahead now? Because we got some winnable games. I mean, who do they have? They got Illinois, uh, Miss, Michigan State, and Michigan, but we got to get so much better. I mean, we're not on Alabama's level at the moment. They would completely and totally fillet our secondary. What do we got to do to get better? So that's what the world saw. Because the world saw, eh, Justin Fields having a bad day here. I think that's what most of the world saw watching maybe from the old 50,000-foot perspective. But Ohio State fans, I think when they come out of this thing, and I'm kind of sitting there watching with you, so you know, we turn and we watch the game together, his secondary is bad. I, I don't know. Well, oh, i got two pins here. I don't know any other way to put it. Ohio State secondary is just a complete and total mess. Now, that's not a shock. In fact, even getting Sean Wade back, and I'm going to talk about Wade in just a second, even getting him back – kind of put a Band-Aid on what was going to be a very green unit. By 10 miles, it was the biggest question mark for this team. So it's not like Buckeye fans are completely stunned on this Sunday evening that, oh, I can't believe our secondary. That turned out to be the weak link. The front looks good for that, for the record, by the way, defensively, but secondary is bad here. How bad? As I read to you before, Indiana, 16 runs, negative one total yards rushing, and yet it's a nail-biter. They still had the ball with a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter. The Sean Wade opt-out, you guys remember this whole circus? It wasn't really a circus. I mean, there was a lot of uncertainty about the season, so Sean Wade opted out. Then when they announced they were going to have the season, Sean Wade opted back in. Might as well have thrown him a ticker tape parade in Columbus. It's a good thing. As it, actually, you know, the more I think about it, it may not be a good thing. I've watched this happen with other programs. Ohio State's kind of in that rarefied air, too. When you've got a lot of young guys that project as future first-round draft picks, but they're playing with other racehorses that are also first-round draft picks, and then some of those racehorses go off to the NFL draft, and some of those younger guys are kind of, by default, elevated to a top tier, sometimes they shine. Like Pat Sertain this year for Alabama shining. I mean, that's going to be a top 15 caliber guy. 
uh, you never hear his name because no one ever throws at him. Sean Wade got thrown at repeatedly. They just victimized him yesterday. I think he had a pick six, which is probably the lasting impression that many had from the game. I'm telling you, if, if you're an NFL type and you pop on that tape, or for that, for the record, if you're uh, Dabo Swinney or if you're Nick Saban and you pop on that tape and you're going to play Ohio State down the road, that's what I'm looking at. And I know Sean Wade's a big name, but man, uh, they, he got victimized yesterday. And I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of the talent he was able to play alongside last year not being there anymore. He's an ultra-talented guy, uh, but got a ways to go to fulfill the lofty expectation that's been placed alongside his name. you got to give huge credit, and I kind of overlooked this to begin with. you got to give huge credit to Tom Allen in Indiana uh, because as much as they almost beat Ohio State yesterday and they were in that game and came back, as I said, 28-7. to They outscored them final 25 minutes. What struck me about Indiana is I don't necessarily know that, unlike some teams who play number one, number two, number three opponents, they never felt like they made this game a Super Bowl. It was a big game, and they understood the ramifications, but I think they'll be fine uh, coming out of this game. I don't think you'll look at them, in other words, like you do some teams who play Bama or Ohio State, and it's a Super Bowl hangover effect, and they just, they're never the same. I'm not telling you Indiana's going to run the table. I think their level of play will maintain a pretty consistent level. They may be the second best team in the Big Ten right now, guys. They may be the number two team in the Big Ten. It's, and, and the funny part is the battle for that number two mantle in the Big Ten is not between Michigan and Penn State or Wisconsin or Iowa. It's between Northwestern and Indiana. So now Ohio State, they kind of get, I want to let that statement sizzle for a second. All right, there we go. Now, Ohio State, they kind of go into hiding. You're not going to see them in a prime position for a couple of weeks. As I said, at Illinois, I'm going to sweat that one, at Michigan State, and then Michigan. So, as I said, they're not ready for Bama yet. Bama's not on the schedule yet. So, you know, Alabama, their defense didn't look too hot about a month ago. Look a lot better now. Gave up three points last night to Kentucky. So, we'll see. Time will tell. You know they have talent. Okay, that's the starting point. If they were limited talent-wise, this just would be what it is. Like Michigan at corner, they're limited talent-wise. Ohio State's got good talent. So they got a lot of moving pieces on the coaching side and on the personnel side. We'll see what they can do over the next month. I wanted to spend some time on this game right quick. Auburn beat Tennessee 30-17 to last night. I got more emails and DMs about this one game in a sea of emails and DMs yesterday than any single game. You think to yourself, the JT Daniels deal at Georgia, Ohio State, barely survives against Indiana, and yet it's Auburn, Tennessee, which tells me a lot of you cared about this game. So let's spend a couple of minutes on it here. I am so, so tired of watching Tennessee lose games the same way. I can watch someone lose, but the same way over and over again, oh, they got no business, do the volunteers, running for 222 total yards at Auburn and losing by double digits. So I pull up the box score from this thing a little while ago just to make sure my eyes didn't deceive me. And sure enough, they didn't. Are you aware of a few things here? Are you aware uh, Tennessee outgained Auburn by 79 yards? They had more first downs, 28 to 23. They had more total plays, 74 to 64. It was a 6.3 to 6.0 yards per play edge for Tennessee. Each team went 9 of 15 on third down. What happened? Because this sounds like an evenly played game, right? Uh, turn, what, what, how in the world... Does one team lose this thing by two touchdowns, nearly two touchdowns? Well, there's a 14-point swing where Tennessee, as I said with Eric Gray, steadily running the ball down Auburn's throat, getting the red zone with a quarterback who has been turnover-prone all year. What are we going to do? We're going to throw it across the middle. That's, of course, what we're going to do. 
and we're going to throw a pick six in the end zone. And it's going to be a 10 to a 14 point swing in a game that ends up being a 30 to 17 final. As I said, Eric Gray, 22 runs, 173 yards. That's nearly eight yards per carry. And yet it doesn't even matter. No one remembers it because you lose by 13 points because turnovers are death in football, especially when they generate points right quick, like on that play, on the actual turnover. Harrison Bailey came in this game. It was too late. Uh, He promptly, of course, leads a touchdown drive. You could say, well, that's in garbage time. Defense is different. Yeah, it may be. Um, But again, the same things that have cost Tennessee before were the same things that cost him yesterday. Yes, it aggravates me. I'm not even wearing an orange shirt like you guys. I'm sitting there wearing my white shirt or whatever I was wearing yesterday. But yet I feel your pain. I know a lot of you. I feel your pain. I'm I'm in Tennessee, so physically I'm situated here in Nashville. But yet, no, I have not budged on Pruitt uh, for much more fundamental reasons that I stated at the beginning of the year. Been going back and forth with a couple of people in the last hour about this. Uh, nothing about this. See, if I was not already sold on you not being the guy before the year, nothing about this year is going to change my mind. Franklin at Penn State, I'm going to talk about him in a second. He could go over the season. Wouldn't change my mind on him. Same with Pruitt. I was not off of his bandwagon before the season. Therefore, by default, there's nothing that can happen in an extreme external factor year that's going to change that. Having said that, I can be highly aggravated at many aspects of this program, which I am. But I'm just not making, if I'm an athletic director, I'm not. But if I am, I'm not making permanent decisions due to extreme temporary external factors. But as for Auburn, because they actually won the game here. You know, sometimes if you live where I live growing up and you live in a more rural part of, well, any state, but I lived in a more rural part of Georgia, you get out at night and you park the car in the driveway, you turn it off, lock it up. In that time where you're walking from your car to the front door, you know, maybe it's 20, 30 yards. Every now and then you'll just hear something over in the bushes, just random noise. It's something over there. You look. You can't see what it is. You turn on the flashlight on the iPhone. You still can't see it. You just know something's over there. So you just hasten your walk, and you get the front door, and you lock it up, and you're good. That noise is Auburn football. That's what they are right now. Do you know they're 5-2? and two? This is the most anonymous 5-2 and two team in America. 9-15 of 15 on third down yesterday. That's a huge deal for them. Third down has been an albatross around this team's neck at various points this year. And yet they were big. Yesterday they were big on third down, and they get a win 30-17. And keep in mind, as much as I talk about how mismanaged the Tennessee offense was, you can't lose a game unless someone beats you. Auburn did what it took to beat Tennessee, and they did it without their best offensive player. Tank Bigsby went down early in this game. And yet Auburn still found a way to carry the ball 165 yards on 38 carries without your stalwart running back. That's admirable. So that, I mean, that's the good news, okay? The next news, I'm not going to call it bad news, the follow-up news is Auburn may very well be about to play the number one and number two teams in the SEC to wrap up their year. At the very worst, number one and number three. Alabama, the Iron Bowl, is this week, keep in mind, this week, Alabama opens as a 24-point favorite against Auburn at home, by the way. And then they wrap the season up with Texas A&M. So, I mean, at at the very least, there is no hot seat talk. That's what I want to emphasize. Because a lot of folks thought by this time it would be Gus Malzahn with all the hot seat talk. And listen, there are a lot of bad news that came out for Auburn today. So firing the football coach, all due respect, needs to be the least of your concerns. There's, there, have been, there have been some of those issues, if you will, around the football program in the past. There aren't right now. You notice that? You notice that? I, 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 let me tell you something. Let me just, 
Let me just carry the water from Malzahn here for a second. I know Auburn football. I know a lot of people close to Auburn football. I know a lot of folks who sling allegations left and right. Um, not much of that happening around Auburn right now, relatively speaking. Not much of that happening around Auburn. So you could criticize Malzahn for losing the football game occasionally here or there. If you want to look at some things that matter more than just the result on Saturday and then juxtapose it to other programs in your athletic department, I think I'm being pretty clear here, uh, hats off to Gus Malzahn. So Tennessee is a 10-point favorite, by the way, against Vanderbilt Saturday. I'm not calling it a must-win. Some people have. I will be very curiously watching that game. But they have now lost five straight games, have the Tennessee Volunteers, by double digits. They started playing football at Tennessee in 1891, and they've never done that. Five straight losses by double digits. So those of you who are on the Fire Pruitt bandwagon, that's your stat. I'm not there, so I'm passing it off. I give you permission to use it. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. There's another place where things are even worse, and that's Penn State. Penn State, oh my goodness. So I'm just going to give you some takeaways here. Not going to spend too long on it, but let me read you a quote, okay? Let me read you a quote here. Not even the first time I've used this quote this year. That's what kind of season it's been. Afterwards, the 700 people in the boats had nothing to do but wait. Wait to die, wait to live, wait for an absolution that would never come. Penn State loses another football game, and the fans feel about like the old lady in Titanic. They lose to Iowa, 41-21. to You keep waiting for the corner to be turned. You keep waiting for that week to come where you look at the final scoreboard and you say, oh, well, you know, it took a lot longer than I wanted it to, but finally we've hit our stride. You want the absolution, and you just keep getting hit in the face with a sledgehammer week after week after week. Uh, the smart money here is that 
hey, there's probably more bad stuff coming. I mean, that's the short term of it. The probably more bad stuff coming. The mid to long range, if you want a sliver of good news, 2020 should be isolated. But I want to go to some evidence. Exhibit number 4,138 on my list of reasons why bull momentum, and momentum in general, is the most overhyped thing in the history of sports. So I'm reading over at Lions 24-7 today. Tyler Donahue did a really good feature, and it offered the best perspective that I saw anywhere out there from last night to today on Penn State. This is how fickle momentum is and how fickle the spotlight can be in college football. Uh, Some of you remember the spring before everything went haywire and how much positive energy there was around Penn State. I was part of it. I had a lot of positive energy about Penn State. Think about where they were. Just a few short months ago, think about where they were. They were coming off a Cotton Bowl win against Memphis. Okay, That's one of the New Year's Six games. That's a big deal. It was their 11th win. They had won at least 11 games for the third time in four seasons. Six of the seven touchdowns they scored against Memphis were scored by freshmen or sophomores. They were looking at back-to-back top 10 classes that were already starting to pay off, all those freshmen and sophomores contributing. Then they had watched Minnesota light it up in the Big Ten, and James Franklin went and got their offensive coordinator, Kirk Soraka, and brought him in, and you're going to pair him up with Sean Clifford, who after his first full year of starting had put up 28 touchdowns, seven interceptions in his first season. So you think, well, if I mean, if Kirk Soraka can do what he did with Tanner Morgan, what's he going to do here with better talent? Maybe, dare I say, more talented quarterback, too. you got an All-American tight end. you got young talent all over the place. you got a returning offensive line with experience across the board, a great one-two combination at running back coming back. you got the highest blue-chip ratio on your roster that you've had to date. How many programs outside of the major elites, how many other programs out there seemed more equipped, considering what I just read you off this list, to maybe potentially either knock on the door of elite status or at the very least be a runner-up and be the very next program at the top of Tier 2. That was Penn State. That was where they were. And then what happened? Well, what happened was spring gets taken away. got taken away from everyone, but if you're trying to install a new offense, it, it hurts you extra hard. Then Micah Parsons opts out, your best defensive player. Then Journey Brown, one of those uh, one-two punches at running back, he's gone. Noah Kane's gone. That's the number two in the one-two punch. He's out in the first game of the year. Then Indiana ambushed him in week one. They outplayed Indiana. They got beat by Indiana. That's what matters. And then there was Ohio State in week two. And it just like, just in the snap of a finger, they were 0-2. And the season went off the rails. It happens that quick. They were in a really unique spot. They were 0-2. And for a team that was supposed to contend, that's the most important thing to remember. This wasn't a team whose goal was to, you know, make a bowl or just make sure we're above 500. They thought they were Big Ten championship contenders. And so in a very atypical year, I have no way of knowing how COVID has affected each individual program, but in an atypical year, a contender had their season just fall off the rails totally early on, and it's never gotten back on the rails. So was the optimism a mirage? That's what I want to ask you. All this, There's no one in their right mind who could have looked at Penn State and denied that program's trending up hard. And then what happened? So was the optimism a mirage, or is this just a throwaway season? I use that term today, throwaway season. I thought it was common sense what I meant. What I don't mean is throw away the entire season. None of the results in this season matter. Of course they matter. We're going to hopefully crown a national champion. 
I'll recognize that national champion as I would any other national champion. You're going to crown a Big Ten champion. I'd recognize that one, SEC, ACC, as I would any other conference champion any year. What I mean is in the areas of the country where things go off the rails, it's a throwaway season for me. I explained it to you with Pruitt. I'm telling you with James Franklin, point blank, I wasn't calling for the guy to lose his job before the year. Therefore, I'm not going to allow anything that happens this year, even if they go winless, to change my opinion on that. I don't run Penn State football. I don't donate a dime to Penn State. They don't care what I say. I'm just giving you my take because I think, mostly, that's what you come to the show for. But my philosophy, even without COVID, is every coach is afforded one throwaway season in his career. Malzahn's used his. Uh, Kirby Smart hasn't used his. Contrary to popular belief, a two-loss season is not a throwaway season. But for someone who disagrees with that, because you can, you can agree with that all day and we'll just sh- nod our heads at each other. For people who disagree with that and, and are actually suggesting that this guy should be out of a job because of what's happened this year, I just want to ask you something. We don't need to fight about it. Just, just hear me out. Let's talk it through to a logical conclusion. You tell me what's more likely, because I just gave you my train of thought. It's not excusing the result. It's explaining the result and understanding these are very atypical external factors that no football coach has ever had to deal with before or hopefully will ever have to deal with after. So you tell me what's more likely. Everything about Penn State and James Franklin magically just evaporated and eroded in one offseason, or 2020 is unique and disproportionate in its impact program to program. I think the latter is much more likely than the former. If I thought this guy had lost it, if I thought the program had lost it, if I thought that those three 11-win seasons in four years, if I thought all that was just gone, I'd tell you, I don't think that's gone. I honestly think this program will be fine, even if they don't win a game this year. I think they'll be fine next year moving forward. They, like many programs out there, are a quarterback away from being a contender. And I'm telling you that when they're 0-5. So you know I mean it. They're, they're a quarterback and a normal year away, let's say that, from being a contender. So they don't have a faulty engine. Their transmission's not shot. Uh, they got tires that are unbalanced. I mean, they got, a, they got a hubcap that's off. They got a dent in the door. They got a cracked windshield. Those things are cosmetic. You can fix those things. You don't have to toss the entire vehicle in the scrapyard and go buy a new one. And I don't even know what would be out there anyway. Have you seen the lots lately? Very slim pickings. Uh, let's see, Colin. Okay. All right. Let's move it on. I had my papers all in a jumble here. Other week 12 takeaways. Let's just go all across the country here. Let's start in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, man, we call this one. Not that there was much doubt about who was going to win the game, but Bama 63 to three. You may think, well, what's so magical about calling this? No, it's not the final. It was the manner with which they were going to go about their business. See, you got to know Nick Saban. Nick Saban is one that is very reliable in games where they're going to blow someone out. They will come to a rest somewhere between 41 and 48 points virtually every time. I can't tell you how many times they've scored 41 or 42 points. They always do. But in the two a year, in 2017, they went about things differently. They had Jalen Hurts as the starter, Tua as the backup, and what Saban knew is, I've got a stud. I've got a legitimate future star as my backup quarterback. I want to get him ready. I actually want to work the offense when the backup quarterback comes in. So what was happening is, Bama was being favored by their usual four touchdowns or 30 or 31 points against inferior competition. And they kept blowing away the spread. They would cover the spread by 20-plus points because what they were doing was they were putting a guy who was too good on the field to just suck the life out of the offense. 
And so they were scoring 55, 62, 63 points instead of their usual 41 or 42. That's where they are right now. Bryce Young is the future star. And coming out of a two-week hiatus and knowing they had a couple of young running backs they wanted to give good looks here in McClellan and Roydell Williams, I highly suspected 29 was too low a number. It was 31. It came down to 29. So we thought they were going to fly past that, and they did. The final score is 63-3. to Notice the defense here. Kentucky's not the best barometer in the world. I'll grant you that. That defense, very porous at the beginning of the year, gave up one first down in the second half. That's not bad. They got Auburn coming up next. As I said, that's in Tuscaloosa. They open as a 24-point favorite. Someone, and I'll give him credit, not by name, someone called that out and said, oh, man, that's way too big a number. In fact, I think Auburn's going to win the game outright. And I did what I usually do. I didn't argue about it. I just said, do you want to bet on it? He said, yes. I said, come to the DMs. He came into the DMs. He said, I absolutely will bet on this. And I said, all right, you're taking Auburn straight up. I'm taking Bama straight up. He said, yep. He arranged it, even offered to Venmoby the money early. I don't, I don't advise that, by the way. So I will give this man credit because he actually backed up the words that were coming out of his mouth. Most people don't in that kind of situation. All right, let's move it on. Oklahoma 41, Oklahoma State 13. Classic example of clicking a couple of months later than you wanted to. But Oklahoma, make no mistake about it, has clicked now. Oklahoma State, here were some padlock stats. Hey, maybe they're, it's an endangered species, but at least it existed yesterday. Had I told you Friday, Oklahoma State's going to be held to 2.8 yards per carry, and they're going to go 3 of 14 on third down, you probably would have felt pretty good about the Sooners. And that's ballgame. I mean, as long as Oklahoma's not turning the ball over all, all over the place, which they've been known to do at times this year, but as long as they're not, those numbers right there, holding Cowboys under 3 yards per carry, and what, 3 of 14 on third down, that, w- that alone was going to be good enough. And Spencer Rattler did not turn the ball over. 17 of 24, 301 passing yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. And for a lot of folks who have made the observation this year, we talked about it from time to time, about the inverse styles of play, conference to conference, relative to history. Neither team in this game, I want to just reframe it. This is the Big 12, big time game in the Big 12. Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma, neither team in this game ran 70 plays. That's, I, I, I'll grant you, I don't have a chart of total plays over here. I don't think that happens very often in this matchup or any matchup in the Big 12. Maybe TCU games, but uh, you know Iowa State, well, Iowa State, yeah, uh, but not this game, not with Oklahoma. Big 12 title favorite now, by the way, Oklahoma Sooners. Overwhelming Big 12 title favorite, so they're back in the mix for that. Oklahoma State needs some things to happen to stay in the mix, but it is my Iowa State Cyclones and Oklahoma currently the overwhelming favorites to match up in that game. How about Michigan? Big win. Michigan's a football school again, guys. 48-42, to triple overtime win over Rutgers. Again, I want to emphasize in the sport of football, I would love to have had a live polling feature in this game. I would love to have had a 500 Michigan fan sample size. And I would love to have known, because I had some of you, very unscientific, but I had some of you hit me up on the iJosh as it got later in this game yesterday. And then as things got into overtime, there were Michigan folks out there, I don't think they were the only ones, who were pulling for the loss. Sounds very counterintuitive, but I know where your head was at. You think beating Rutgers does nothing for us. All it does is potentially prolong the inevitable. And so a lot of you wanted a loss. Uh, My Jim Harbaugh opinion is unchanged here. I want to be perfectly clear. 
It's not me telling you I think he's the right guy for the job and I think he'll get everything turned. I'm not the one telling you that. I am fairly indifferent on this right now because they're doing really good in recruiting. Now, you may say, what in the world does all the talent in the world mean if we can't develop it, put it in the right place, yada, yada, yada. I, I hear you. But what I'm saying is, if you had a truly dead-in-the-water program, recruiting would be dead, too. It's not. So I'm indifferent on this. When I tell you I don't think Harbaugh's going anywhere, it's because people around the program don't think he's going anywhere. I don't know if that would have changed with a loss last night, but that's the point. They didn't lose. So, I mean, and they may, hey, may, they may have found a quarterback. Thought it was going to be Joe Milton. Turns out it may be Cade McNamara. What, he, he was 27 of 36, four touchdowns, no interceptions last night. He didn't start, by the way. So, Hello. Now we move forward in the season. What can you make of it? Um, Penn State and Michigan play this Saturday. And that game is going to be at noon, but it's going to be pretty high profile. They're putting it on ABC. So this game will not be pay-per-view. You won't need someone over the age of 18 with a credit card to go buy it for you. You will be able to watch this in all its glory. Penn State and Michigan, the showdown America doesn't know that it needs, but it really does. And that is Saturday at high noon Eastern time. So, hey, good for Michigan. UCLA almost beat Oregon yesterday. This was one I couldn't make sense of. Oregon, I thought I thought a healthy UCLA was going to be run up and down the field on by Oregon. And then you had Robinson or Robinson Thompson. I always get the, uh, the names confused there. The quarterback, the starter for UCLA out. And... Not only that, if I were to have told you, talk about padlocks being irrelevant yesterday, if I tell you not only is Chip Kelly going to be without his starting quarterback, they're also going to be minus three turnovers. What kind of blowout would you think was coming there? For an Oregon team already favored by two touchdowns, and then it went up to 17 with the news of the quarterback being out. I mean, the negative was, for Oregon, UCLA's backup quarterback took you to the wire and nearly beat you, even as you were plus three turnovers. I guess if you're looking for a silver lining here, you did get a win. That's much more than just a silver lining. But Oregon's offense, again, answered the bell, and they needed to. They needed every one of those 38 points. Um, I, they needed the plus three turnovers, too. <laughs> I, I'm not really sure. I was very, very confident in watching how they came from behind against Washington State. I was confident in that. But there are aspects of their defense that look very much lost. Here's the other silver, silver lining. It may be independent. It may be a case-by-case deal. But right now, Oregon's problems are the same problems that you've seen Alabama have at certain times this year. Ohio State currently has. Clemson's had them. Notre Dame hasn't had them. But Notre Dame may be a little more limited offensively than some of those other teams. So the question is not, uh, are they currently struggling defensively? Answer, unequivocally, yes, they are. Are they able to set themselves on the same kind of trajectory that Alabama has? Florida, for that matter, has been in that situation. And none of those teams, at least Florida, has not gotten themselves to elite status. I mean, they're still struggling defensively, but the offensive product is plenty good enough to give you some leeway. How good can Oregon become? How much can they rectify things on that side of the ball? Because they're, they're suffering some pretty devastating injuries over there, too that those other teams may not necessarily be struggling from. And their roster, while improving year over year, is not to the level that some of those truly elite teams are. So keep an eye on that. Northwestern is 5-0. and Northwestern, I didn't see the AP today. I, I have looked at it twice this year. I assume they're ranked highly, though. Northwestern beat Wisconsin 17-7 to yesterday. And defense got after it. I mean, they had three sacks. They had seven tackles for loss. They forced five Wisconsin turnovers. Um, 
you know in the early portion of the season when you saw Graham Mertz throwing the ball all over the place and you asked Paul Christ, uh, he may be changing his style there, he has. When you have a, a coach, Paul Christ, Kirby Smart, whoever it may be, when they are resistant to changing their offensive philosophy, here's why. They turned the ball over five times yesterday. That's why. Okay, in the past, when he's just handling Jonathan Taylor or whoever it was, whichever All-American pair of tailbacks he has, you don't really have to worry about that so much. Now, you may not win a national championship that way, but you're also never going to turn the ball over five times and lose to Northwestern 17-7 to that way. That's why they're resistant. Because in your mind, you may picture what it's like when it works. But in their mind, they say, okay, uh, I'm not going to have that kind of production 12 times out of 12. Maybe nine or eight times out of 12. But they're going to be three or four games a year where we don't click. And if the worst were to happen, we can't make up for it. So that's what happened. So now 5-0, and oh, there's Northwestern. They're in the driver's seat in their division to go to the Big Ten championship game. They have Michigan State, Minnesota, and Illinois still to come. They could be unbeaten when they play Ohio State because in all likelihood that's who they would play in the Big Ten championship game. I had someone earlier today say, you better talk about Northwestern tonight. Talking about Northwestern. I got to give old Barton Simmons credit too. Barton has been beating the Northwestern drum for the better part of a year now. I mean, he was all over him in the spring and summer, and you know, everyone else was talking about COVID, and Barton was talking about Northwestern football. Seemed weird at the time, but hats off to him, and hats off to Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern. LSU squeaked by Arkansas yesterday, 27-24. More inexplicable victimization of Arkansas by the SEC. This time it was just the officials. Um, but be that as it may, LSU did get a win, and it was very clear at some point this week in the team meetings, Ed Orgeron and his brain trust down there looked around, and they figured out, all right, Bo Pelini, here's a, here's a concept. If we never have our defense on the field, he can't hurt us that much. And so what they did is they came into the Arkansas game, and they had a very simple strategy. Never let the defense get on the field. And it pretty much worked. Time of possession in this game was 41 minutes and 43 seconds for LSU, 18 minutes and 17 seconds for Arkansas. 91 plays to 53 plays. That was the time of possession. That was the critical factor edge yesterday. And so LSU, you get all that. You have those sizable edges, and it's 27 to 24. That's the final um, they covered, though, so I can say that about LSU. They covered. That would have been a bad one for them to drop. Arkansas is still very much exceeding expectation. LSU gets Texas A&M this week. A&M's favored by 12 to 12 and a half, I think, just to open. I hadn't looked at it in about an hour. Um, A&M's going to want that one pretty bad. I know that's a spoiler alert to end all spoiler alerts, but A&M's going to want that one pretty bad. There are a lot of these games where LSU was favored. I think they were favored against Arkansas by 41 last year. And they were a one-point favorite, I think, yesterday. It was, it was bouncing around. That, that line crossed zero a couple of times. And then lastly, I wanted to talk about USC beating Utah 33-17. to Was going to hand this game out, but I didn't. I was going to hand out Utah, so I'm glad I didn't. Uh, we had a heads-up pretty early in the week. There were some COVID situations behind the scenes with Utah's quarterback room. And that turned out to be the case. Uh, but Jake Bentley ended up not being the starter regardless. Cam Rising was. Utah was minus three turnovers. Here was Utah's first game of the year, Southern Cal's third game. And now, as I said with Auburn, kind of an anonymous 5-2 and two team, USC's 3-0. and oh. And not only that, I mean, with Oregon looking very suspect right now, I mean, you've got to ask the question, as I said last week with Southern Cal, 
Are they just buying time until they eventually get smashed? Or are they living on borrowed time? Well, I mean, so far they're 3-0, and and they're not playing that long a season out there. So it was just assumed, oh, this year is going to be a death blow for Clay Helton. Well, they better start losing quick, or it's not going to be anything along those lines. In fact, all it is right now is a season where they're the favorites to win their division and go play for conference championship. So that was a quick trip around America yesterday. It was a really... Uh, underrated, entertaining week of college football. Learned a whole lot, and it set some things up. That's the important part. A lot of stuff has been set up now for this week. This is a critical week. It's a rivalry week in some cases. I'm not talking about South Carolina tonight, but believe you me, we will be updating you on South Carolina. I talked to someone pretty close to that coaching search Friday night, yeah, uh, for about an hour, and think they want to move this week. Can't tell you definitively they will. I think they want to move this week. So Bears very, very close watching. Ramen Noodle Express, let's go, Colin. We have got, because it's a truncated week, it's Thanksgiving week, we have got games that are coming up on Friday, a bunch of them, and then you got the usual Saturday slate. We have a lot of value on the board. So I can't stress in strong enough terms, follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. For instance, if you only took the games that I showed on the Thursday show, I think you went two and three this week. But I put out two more games, and both of them won on Twitter because it was after the Thursday show, as I told you to expect. Well, those went two and oh. So we went four and three on the week. We're sitting at right around 58% against the spread this year. We're just chugging right along, doing really good. Some viewers have started to Photoshop varying pictures of yours truly and a train and a pack of ramen noodles. Those are the three keys for the Ramen Noodle Express, and I've been using them. Those of you who have sent some good ones, and they've been really good, I don't know Photoshop to save my life, so you know they're not coming from me. They've been good. So send me your submissions. You've seen them. If you haven't seen them already, just go scroll up and down my Twitter feed. You'll see them. Uh, Really good stuff. So we've got two best bets that I've already put out today. I don't think these lines have moved much. I think North Texas moved down a point. So get on these as quickly as you can. North Texas is playing University of Texas San Antonio, five-and-a-half-point dogs. We're taking UNT plus five-and-a-half. And then Central Michigan, minus five-and-a-half, on the road at Eastern Michigan. Our numbers have Central Michigan winning that game by double digits. Uh, if I had my guess, I would think that's going up to at least a touchdown. So grab it now, Central Michigan minus five. That is a Friday game, by the way. And again, remember, got some more coming your way. I highly doubt that we will limit it to five this week. I think we're going to be above five again. We were at seven last week. Wouldn't be surprised if we went at least seven this week. So follow me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. I need to remind you. I don't need to remind you it's Thanksgiving week. I do need to remind you we got a programming update this week. So, of course, we're not going to have a Thursday show. What we're going to have is we're going to have our usual Tuesday show, which is full of game predictions. And we'll have a ton of predictions for you. Also, the Tuesday night college football playoff rankings are coming. And that's going to be live, obviously. I think it's on ESPN, wherever they broadcast that. So I'll have a separate reaction video for that. So you'll have Late Kick Live on, but I won't because that's going to be a canned. That's going to be pre-recorded earlier in the day. It'll still be everything that you normally get from the show, though. So that'll air. And then later that night, probably right after the show goes off the air, Colin will have edited throughout the day. And like magic, he will have sent me my college football playoff rankings reaction, and I'll have that up for you a little bit after that goes off the air on ESPN. So you want to stay tuned for that. As I said, I got a lot of games to predict this week, so subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel if you haven't already. And for those joining late, 
Got a bunch. We're showing this on Facebook now, too, by the way, on the 24-7 Sports Facebook channel. So if you're not following over there, follow over there. Um, anyone who wants any kind of one-on-one Zoom session about the sports media industry, how to get into it, how to start your own YouTube channel, podcast, advice, whatever, etc., hit me up, joshpate706 at gmail.com or on Twitter at LateKickJosh. I do have, I'm looking right now, hold on, all right, there, now, I'm looking at my schedule for this week. I have some open slots. So first come, first serve, they fill up quick. I had to turn away some people last week. Well, there you go. So come on back. Um, And that's about it for tonight. So thank you so much. A lot of support for the show. It does not go unnoticed by me. It does not go unnoticed by management here and infinitely higher above us at CBS headquarters. So a lot of good conversations last week, telephone, Zoom, et cetera, about that very thing. So thank you so much for that. We will be back here Tuesday night. Until then, for Director Colin, for... Uh, Jordan, who is now editing on the podcast side of things, thank you so much for watching. Have a great week. Happy early, early Thanksgiving, and God bless. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.